Hello, everyone. Welcome to this podcast episode. Today, we have a very special guest, Shark Call. And I'm very excited because of her background. Like, when I looked at her LinkedIn, I was like, whoa, how are you doing all of this at the same time? And then, actually, in this particular episode, you're gonna learn more about her as a person and even like why she's so actually active about diversity, equity, and inclusion. So, without further ado, we're gonna go right into it. It's very sweet. I'm excited too. Thank you for having me on the show. And it's great to (laughs) connect with you again after quite a while. Mm -hmm. So first thing, Sharika, do you mind introducing yourself either like about your background or your interest? Yeah. So my name is Sharika Call. Um, I am a Seattleite. I've lived in the Seattle area since I was five years old. Um, Before that, we were in New York for a couple of years. And then I was actually born in London. Um, I was raised in a very loud and proud Indian family. We are Kashmiri pundits from the north, uh, so super uh, into our heritage. Um, gosh, what else is there about me? <laughs> um, I, I grew up kind of in the arts. I have always loved music. Um, that's kind of one thing people don't know about me is I'm actually a musician. Um, I grew up playing the cello. I played the piano for a while. Um, And I was also trained in Indian classical music in the Hindustani style, which is the North Indian style. Um, And I was very passionate about drama as well. So the stage has been my stage, (laughs) for for lack of a better term. That's um, I really feel like I grew up on the stage and that gave me um, a huge sense of confidence um, and self-expression. That's kind of a little bit about me. Wow. I didn't even know you were born in London. And where exactly were you raised in New York? (laughs) So I lived in Scarsdale, in, okay. um, so kind of like Greenville, um, mm-hmm. so, and it's kind of near Westchester, um, yeah. but yeah, that was, that was the area that I grew up in, um, and our, basically our whole family, if they're not in India, they are in, on the East Coast, mm. so we used to go like every other day to like Connecticut or New Jersey or wherever, just around kind of the tri-state mm-hmm. area, just visiting family on the weekends, um, and that's one of the things that I really missed. I remember mm-hmm. when we moved to Seattle, because it was just us. Um, in this area. Uh, So we were kind of pioneers on the West Coast. (laughs) Do you think you'd ever come back to the East Coast or you like where you are in Seattle? Honestly, I I think I consider Seattle my home now. I think for a long time um, because I was so used to the way of life in New York and kind of the way people were. It was a big cultural adjustment. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I first moved here, I was one of very few people of color at my school. Mm -hmm. So that was also, you know, a big shift from, you know, New York. I mean, you can't cross the street without hearing like five different languages. (laughs) So that was, that was something that was very different for me. And there was definitely, um, you know, difficulties that I dealt with um, kind of making that adjustment. Um, But I think, you know, it really um, toughened me up and really made me um, into who I am. Um, So I would, I love coming to New York though. I love visiting. Mm-hmm. I have so many friends and family who live there. So New York is still a huge part of my heart. Um, mm-hmm. But I think now that I've lived in Seattle for, I think almost 18 years now, it's, it's home. So this is actually a question I ask in every podcast episode to everyone is if you had all the time in the world, what would you be doing? Oh, easy music. Um, I, I'm really passionate um, about music. I started um, with some friends in college, an Eastern and Western fusion band. Um, and uh, I played the cello, a um, little bit of piano, kind of like I mentioned, and then I sing. Um, so I think what I would want to do is um, pick up some more interest instruments. I've really mm-hmm. wanted to learn piano better, um, mm-hmm. as well as pick up guitar. Um, and I feel like I just haven't... Um, 
I haven't been as committed to my music as I would like to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I studied Indian classical music specifically for many, many years. Um, and I feel like I, I want to get back into it more. So definitely music. Mm-hmm. Do you think that in the future you'd rather have it stay as a hobby or maybe something else in the future? Um, I think I'm okay with it being a hobby. Um, I think, um, you know, I, I really love music and I do it because it makes me happy, not necessarily yep. because I think I'm the best in the world. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, you know, there are always things that you can do, especially in kind of the world we live in where, you know, I could make a YouTube channel and, yep. you know, post the music that I do. I can start a Spotify. I feel like there's so many amazing ways where you can have a side gig Mm-hmm. That's very, very, um, you know, viable and realistic and you can enjoy yourself doing it like you do. You know, you're a full time consultant, but you have this amazing YouTube channel where you share your tips and tricks. I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So this is actually probably a lot more broad question, but what are your aspirations in life, whether it be your career, personal or even about music or mindful Nancy? Oh, wow. That's loaded. Um, <laughs> that was funny. So one of the things that I actually... Um, I experienced kind of two, two very difficult things in the Mm. pandemic. So one thing was I lost my job at Deloitte, Um, you know, consulting went through, as you know, horrible, horrible time. And I was, you know, the junior most person on my team. So I got let go. And I remember that I was not expecting that. And um, I was expecting that I would stick around at Deloitte for a couple years at least Mm. um, and continue down the path I was going. So that was difficult. Um, And then in the pandemic, I also, um, we lost two people. I lost um, an uncle who's like a dad to me. Mm. And then my partner um, lost his dad. So I think um, the pandemic, you know, having those experiences, it makes you remember what's really important in life. And I think as far as, you know, aspirations, uh, my aspiration, I think, is to always be near my family Mm -hmm. um, and to always stay connected with them. Um, and you know, my uncle and I, we were, we were very, very close. Um, so I, I feel really grateful that I had such a wonderful person in my life and that's why it hurt so much to lose him. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, you know, aspirations, definitely family. Um, I would love to be a mom and have kids, um, you know, um, and I think career wise, that's the one that I'm thinking about right now Mm, because, um, you know, at first, you know, like I said, I was at Deloitte and I was like, okay, this is where I'm going to be for a long, long time. And that all changed. Um, so it made me also reassess, um, how, you know, when you're young, life always goes according to plan, you know, maybe you you're in high school, then you're like, okay, I want to go to college. So you go to college, you get into your major and then you're like, okay, I, you know, I'm in my senior year, I have to apply for jobs. And then you study for the interviews and then you get the job and everything just goes so according to plan. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big planner. And this is the first time in my life where I feel like things didn't go according to plan. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm kind of learning to be okay with that it's an adjustment, but, um, you know, I do really enjoy product management, product work, working with engineering teams. Um, so that's kind of, I see myself very much in that technical realm in the future. Wow. That's a very scary experience. I know, like, I like to plan my life very far in advance and I'm just like, Oh, maybe I should reevaluate like, Oh, do I really want to plan that far out? Or maybe I should just kind of plan for spontaneity and kind of enjoy life a little bit, but Wow, that's definitely a a big story to tell. So thank you so much for sharing. Of course. Yeah, and I think I'm not the only one who's going through it. Um, I think a lot of people are dealing with grief of many kinds um, right now, whether that's, you know, losing a job, losing a family member, you know, the state of, you know, our country. 
there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot going on. Um, and I think that's why for me, empathy is really important because you, you really never know what other people are going through and how mm-hmm. the world is affecting them. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So a question I want to ask is what is something most people don't know about you? Ooh, okay. <laughs> um, I think one that people don't always know is that I'm actually very spiritual. I meditate every single day. Um, I was raised in a Hindu family. Um, and it's interesting because when I talk about like Hinduism, um, a lot of people, you know, it's, it's considered a religion. But the way that I grew up, let's say, really was more of like a way of life. Um, and meditation um, and, you know, reciting mantras and stuff that was that was very much a part of the way of life that I was raised with. So, um, yeah, meditating every single day. Um, mm-hmm. It really, really keeps me centered. I mean, that that kind of brings into the next question is like what or who shaped you to who you are today? Do you think like actually that was a big part of who you are today or I mean, not even just in tech, but as a person? Yeah. So I would say who who and what shaped me is my parents, number one. Okay. Um, I, I'm very, very lucky to have the parents that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, parents aren't always perfect. They're people too. Um, and my family has definitely been through our fair share of rough times, you know, just yep. like everyone else's family has. Um, but I think I, I really, really admire how strong my parents are. And, you mm-hmm. know, they were immigrants and they, they came here, worked super, super hard to get to where they are now. Mm-hmm. And I'm really, really proud to be their child. Um, and I think, you know, those experiences where we had difficult times were things that really shaped me and brought me a lot of kind of kind of wisdom, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe at a younger age than, you know, you would expect. Um, yeah. So I feel like the kind of the, the way that my parents raised me to be very proud of my heritage, to make sure that I am, you know, maintaining a strong connection with my own self mm-hmm. um, and to persevere and work hard. Um, those were really big things that shaped me, mm-hmm. but also to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say was the biggest lesson you learned from them then? Biggest lesson that I learned from them. Um, I think the biggest thing, and I talked about this earlier was mm-hmm. empathy. Um, my parents are really kind, loving, wonderful people. And I think one of the biggest things that, you know, I always noticed growing up was, um, you know, one of the things, you know, they came from India. Mm -hmm. And I remember when they came to the US, they were like, I don't understand how a country can be so wealthy, and there are people sleeping out on the streets. Mm -hmm. And my dad, I remember when we were kids, whenever we would see someone who was homeless, he would always give them we would always keep like snack bars in our car, um, or water bottles, and we would always give them to the homeless people. And my dad would look at me and my brother, and he would say, when you guys become successful, you need to do something about this. Um, The whole point of, you know, for them coming into the world is to, you know, discover yourself and grow and learn, but it's to also give back to other people. So that's something that's always been very, very important to me. Wow. That's powerful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I have some pretty awesome parents. They're pretty Yeah, I think it's because like, I I live in New York. So everyone, if they see a homeless guy, they just walk right past. But you your parents are completely different from that. Yeah. And I I think that's, you know, that's a pretty um, common thing. And I think it affects a lot of people when they see a homeless person for the first time. It's 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 painful, and it hurts. And I think that, you know, part of, um, you know, part of, you know, what my parents have always wanted for me and my brother is to make the world a better place. Um, and so that's something that's um, really important to me. And as I get older, I'm trying to find more and more ways where I can um, engage with work like that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I can definitely tell you have been trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm figuring it out. I'm figuring it out. <laughs> okay, so on that note, we're going to go right into talking about your career a little bit. So yeah. I noticed you studied both informatics, data science, and communications at University of Washington. Why did you study what you studied? Because to me, I think they're completely different. But now that I'm hearing your story, it makes sense, actually, why you decide to do that. Yeah, so so the interesting thing was um, I was always a people person. Um, I love people performing. So communications was like a no-brainer for me. Um, I specialized in public speaking, um, and that was just, oh, I loved that major. The classes, just everything was so wonderful. Um, and I had amazing, amazing professors. Um, informatics was actually, I, I didn't necessarily see myself in STEM when I was growing up. And, um, but I always remembered that, you know, I would always be the one fixing the computer or fixing the printer, or if something wasn't working, you know, even when I was really little, my parents would be like, can you figure this out? Like, do you know what's going on? So I had some, like, I had some sort of problem solving thing in the back of my head, but I think, you know, whether that's because of maybe it was just me thinking like, oh, you know, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a real math Mm. and science kind of person. So I I just never imagined it. Um, But I remember when I took um, my first course with a really dear professor, Dave Stearns, um, he, and on our first informatics class, he was like, we don't need more people who can code. We need more people who can make technology work better for other people. Mm. Um, and that just blew my mind because I really never saw a space for someone like me who's, you know, really human oriented. I like to interact, you know, I don't like to sit in my silo and on my computer all day. Um, I think that was kind of what really changed my mind. Um, and I worked hard. I mean, computer science classes were not easy for me. It Mm. did not come naturally. Um, and I think there was a lot of also kind of, you know, at UW, you know, everyone wants to study computer science. So, Mm. um, you know, there was a very competitive nature. There were also, you know, being, you know, a girl in that environment um, definitely did not always feel welcomed in it, to be honest. Um, But I worked really hard and I pushed through, especially once I found product management and I realized like I had this like, oh my God, this is what I want to do. Like, I love this working with stakeholders, working with technical people. Like this is, this is it being the glue. That's what I call it is being the glue. Um, And I realized like, that's, that's what I want to do. So I really, I grinded through it. And I had amazing classmates once, especially once I got into my major who, um, you know, who were really, you know, compassionate and who were just amazing. Um, I think you, you find your crew and I definitely found my crew. Um, and I, um, I, I never wanted to kind of be put into one box. I think I've always kind of been like that. I'm kind of like, I like to do my thing. Um, so I wanted to do informatics um, and I did it. I did communications as well. Um, and then I also minored in business. So it kind of became oh. this nice little okay. circle of um, kind of tech consulting slash product, mm-hmm. um, which worked out. Yeah, actually, like when I was looking into a career in tech, I was like, I don't come from a coding background. I actually tried coding and I was like, oh, it's just not for me. I don't find it interesting to sit here for eight hours a day to do the same thing. And maybe it's not even eight hours, probably more than that. Mm-hmm. But um, I had the same exact epiphany as you. I was actually thinking about product management, tech consulting, or just completely like project management. So all those three were the reasons why I was even considering anything where it's like in between tech and business. And it looks like you also found that same epiphany too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we're going to go into this a little bit later about the difference between the two, but what exactly about technology excites you? 
Um, I think it's just the ability to solve people's problems. Okay. Um, I think it's just, just if you look at just the kinds of products that are out there, there's, there are things like Be My Eyes, where I was, I was just watching a YouTube video about a, a young woman who's blind. Um, and I think she has like a makeup channel on YouTube. And uh, she talks about how, you know, she can use an app and a person will come on and like explain to her what's going on around her. Oh, wow. And I was like, what the heck? Like, that's <laughs> so cool. And like the fact that I can like pick up a phone and, you know, if I'm, if I'm not feeling well one day and I need to order myself some chicken soup, I can do that. I feel like it's just um, in a lot of ways, being able to make life more convenient and easier for people um, just excites me about it. I mean, there's a dark side to it too. Yeah. Um, which we could get into later. Um, but um, I think it's, it's just so amazing how you can affect so much change mm-hmm. with just kind of like a click of a button. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I feel like most people at this point probably take that in, kind of take that for granted. Like when you just mentioned about ordering chicken soup, like I do that almost every day now. I'm like, oh, I didn't, I, I didn't think about it. No. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I think especially because when we were growing up, you know, we we had technology. It's not like we didn't. But I feel like, you know, like when we were little, you know, we had like AOL email and, Mm -hmm. you know, really fat phones and stuff. And um, when I kind of look at the kids now, (laughs) the kids, I mean, I'm only (laughs) four. I don't know what I'm saying, the kids. But when I look at them now and there's like technology all around them, screens, everything, I'll be like, oh, my gosh, this is a very different reality that we have Mm -hmm. these days. The next question is really, we did briefly talk about this too, is why did you decide on Deloitte and consulting? So it made like a really good sense about informatics and communications and then your minor in business for consulting. But uh, why was why was that the one that you end up choosing over product management? And also why Deloitte specifically? Yeah, so actually consulting came really randomly in my okay. life, actually. So <laughs> I like it. I mean, it was completely random. My mom was actually a management consultant. Um, so she was super excited when I, you know, got to Deloitte. And she was like, you're following my footsteps. And I'm like, yes, mother. Um, but yeah, so I, I basically, I remember I was just, I was prepping for product management interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are, you know, those are pretty really pretty tough, pretty competitive, just like consulting ones are. And um, I remember I was just like, I had gotten an email from my department and they were like, hey, you know, we have the Deloitte applications are closing on this day, like apply. And, you know, and I was like, okay, I mean, this seems kind of (laughs) cool. And And, um, I looked at kind of the interview materials and I was like, oh, this is actually kind of similar to the stuff I was doing for um, product management, like Mm -hmm. cases and things like that. And it was a a little different. but um, I was like, yeah, I mean, this seems cool. And then I interviewed and I ended up, you know, doing well. And it just, it just happened. Um, mm-hmm. So it was, it was definitely, I know a lot of people, you know, have a story where they were like, it was my dream and I got to it. And for mm-hmm. me, I'm just like, it landed <laughs> on me. <laughs> I was like, cool. I like it. So speaking of consulting, one of your clients was actually a big five tech company. So really here's about that experience because it's probably a lot more interesting working in tech with a big tech company. So, and you were based in Seattle, but this company was based in like, you know, California, like all the other ones, but how was that experience? Um, you know, it's kind of interesting because I feel like my tech consulting experience was kind of 
kind of unorthodox. Um, so I, you know, I did, um, you know, development and stuff in college because that was part of my major. Um, but I had kind of, like I said earlier, I didn't really have the intention of going into software development. Um, and then I brought, got brought on as a software developer to mm. the technology project. And a lot of people will kind of be like, oh, but like, why would a big five tech company with like the most brilliant developers ever like need to, you know, like outsource or, you know, get help. Um, and it's yeah. often because, you know, consulting, um, you know, for, for a big company, you know, get hiring people is like a fixed kind of yeah. cap, capex, whereas consultants are opex. Mm-hmm. So um, we, you know, we can come in and, you know, one of my managers, the thing he told me was, you know, what we tell these companies is that our devs are as good as yours, but they're going to work harder than yours. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, so that was, um, that was kind of what we, um, what my experience was kind of actually, you know, becoming a dev in an mm. environment. And I was a junior level dev. So it's not like I was, you know, mm. writing the craziest stuff you've ever heard of. Um, but yeah, that was a big part of it. And I expressed to my manager as well that I'm really interested in kind of technical program management and product management. So he kind of brought me on um, as kind of his, his associate or kind of mm-hmm. junior TPM. Um, so I kind of uh, juggled both roles and I was also doing like data analytics and dashboarding. Mm. So I feel like I had a very good manager who, was like, you know, you seem to have a lot of interests. Give them a try. See what you like. See see how it works out. Um, so that was, um, and which is interesting because I think a lot of times when you're in consulting, especially tech consulting, it is yeah. you get really good at a certain technology. Like um, mm-hmm. for me, I was in the cloud practice at Deloitte. Yep. So I got like Azure certified and your role is to help uh, implement that for clients. So it was kind of interesting that I kind of brought onto it, got brought onto a very deeply like technical, like coding level mm-hmm. role. Um, yeah, it was kind of, kind of interesting experience. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, why would a big tech company hire a tech consultant? Like I, as a tech mm-hmm. consultant, I kind of understand, but I like, I'm always curious about like the intellectual property. Like maybe that could be something why they're a little bit scared. Like, oh, maybe not. Yeah. I think it's, you know, you, you have like NDAs and like things yeah. like things that you sign and you know I think you know as well as I do mm-hmm. like in consulting like you know some clients are okay if you talk about them some are not and the, the rule of thumb that I always follow is just like rather be safe than sorry so yeah. like I don't I don't overshare about mm-hmm. who I've worked with and what I've done with them I just keep mm-hmm. it at a very general level if anything um and usually you know that's fine they're, they're not yeah. gonna they're not gonna run after you unless you really do something crazy <laughs> <laughs> So I'm actually kind of curious about this, but when you were there, was it kind of like you were treated like an employee or they knew you were a consultant and treated you like a consultant? Yeah, they were actually very nice. And even at the, at, I'm at another big five tech company now with yep. my current client. Um, I think um, they, they're they they're very nice about treating you like an employee. Like you get mm-hmm. like most of the same perks, like, you know, you get to go to the cafeteria and get all the Ooh. fun food and, you know, get to, you know, you get to, <laughs> The food was very good uh, that I have to give them. Um, and you get to go to, you know, the different campuses, you know, you get to take the transport. Um, obviously, you know, there are certain perks that we don't get. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are expectations. And this is with any kind of consulting role is that we're paying you to do this. So you yep. need to do it well and you need to do it right. 
Um, so, so there is a little bit of that. And especially when you're at a company that is already so high caliber, I think that can mm-hmm. make you feel a lot of pressure. Like I remember when I first got brought onto the project, I was like, oh my God, I'm like literally just out of college. Like why do they want me to work and do these things <laughs> and implement this stuff? I was like, are you guys crazy? Um, but you know, it, it ended up working out. But I think for the most part, the clients that I have worked with, they're, they're really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're all like super chill, super fun people, but there is that expectation that again, like we're paying you yep. to do a good job and to lend your expertise. And if it's, you know, there, there's an ex, there is a high expectation of your work. Okay. So for anyone who is like in their first year or first month of consulting, like what advice would you give for them? Um, I think be, be flexible and be a sponge. Um, for me, I mean, certainly my first thing at consulting did not turn out as I planned. Like I didn't expect I would be writing code, but I was like, and I remember I was super freaked out about it because, you know, writing code was never my strong suit, Mm -hmm. but I was like, you know what, this opportunity has been given my way and I'm just going to do my best. And, um, I think a lot of times, you know, people also understand that, you know, you're, you're junior, you know, you, you, this is your first job. They don't, they only expect that you are attentive and that you're learning. Um, so my, one of my biggest pieces of advice is just like, always take notes. If you don't know what to do with yourself, just take notes, um, because you never know. Um, and then slowly, slowly, you'll find yourself kind of growing into shoes and becoming, um, you know, a really strong contributor on your project within, you know, I think three, three months, maybe less than that. I became a pretty strong contributor on my first project. Um, and you'll find yourself growing, you'll, you'll find yourself getting pushed and, you know, maybe pulled in different directions, but you will figure out, um, you will figure out how to manage it. And um, the other big thing too, is especially when you're in like a big four, um, make sure that you're setting your boundaries. In my opinion, I feel like, you know, that there are obviously always going to be nights where, you know, hey, maybe, you know, you have to be on until like 11 or, you know, 12, just because you have a big deadline or something important to get done. Um, but I think, for, for the most part, um, I encourage people to be very uh, strict about, you know, okay, it's 5 p.m. I'm done, unless it's an emergency, um, mm-hmm. or unless, you know, maybe you started at 11 a.m. that day, then, you know, fine, you want to go till 7 p.m., yeah, sure, um, but um, yeah, I think my main advice is, you know, take notes, be flexible, just absorb, and to take whatever comes your way, um, and then set your boundaries. Mm-hmm. So like, because you probably didn't expect to be in a coding role, did Deloitte give you all the resources and training you needed, or did you have to learn everything kind of on the spot? Um, I think, you know, what's funny is Deloitte has its own kind of division of folks who are brought on because of their development and et cetera okay. expertise. I'm not sure if there's like a boot camp involved in that, but there's there Deloitte kind of has their own thing for that and I was on the like the consulting consulting side I Mm. so I was kind of like brought in almost to another sector which is pretty Mm -hmm. common in consulting firms as people work across different um, teams and different groups Um, and I didn't exactly get training to be honest I it was mostly like they were like okay well it seems like you have basic to medium understanding of this coding framework or this language so come on over and do it. It was kind of <laughs> trial by fire. Um, and I remember it the first uh, week that I onboarded, uh, my teammates were like, yeah, so we're going on vacation. So good luck. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm kidding. They, 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 were, they, were, they were very kind. Um, and they, they taught me as much as I could. 
but again, I think people recognize that like, okay, this is literally like a junior level person, you know, they, yeah, they, yeah I, I, I was so freaked out, but I realized, you know what, they brought me on for a reason, you know, take a, take a breather, just do your best. Um, so I think for me, it was, it was trial by fire completely, mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's a lot of good learning in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think this is kind of interesting because you were like, not only trying out your first job out of college, you were learning how to code a little bit more working with a big client. And then on top of that, you also founded a startup and wrote a book called mindful Mansi. Can you tell us about that? Cause that, that's the part that blew my mind. I was like, right after <laughs> college, like that's what you did. I was like, uh. Yeah. So, so I, I can absolutely tell you about that. Um, so mindful Mansi is um, a book about a young uh, South Asian girl who is learning how to kind of deal with her feelings and her emotions in, in a kind of a more positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know when I was growing up, I, I talk about how um, I grew up in a very spiritual family. So things like meditation, yoga was, was very much kind of central to the way that we were brought up. Um, and that was very important to us. And I um, definitely have struggled with my mental health. And I noticed how having those tools, like knowing how to do certain breathing exercises, knowing how to um, meditate really helped me come back to my center, especially in college when I I had really, really severe anxiety. Um, And I was just thinking that like, I feel so lucky that I have these opportunities and I have this Mm. knowledge that I want other kids to be introduced to it too. So um, when I was in my senior year, I was in um, the business program, which is, it's the entrepreneurship slash business minor. And there's a class where you start your own company. And um, I met another lovely girl named Aubrey Inamori, who is my co-author, and um, a couple of other folks. And they were all really interested in writing a children's book. And I was like, I would love to. Um, So I ended up joining their group. And uh, it just, it really just spun out from there. And Aubrey and I wrote the book together. And we have a really wonderful illustrator Andy Curtis um, who I mean she just brought the book to life like it's amazing what she did with it um, but yeah that's it, it came out of there and uh, you know we we kept running it you know even after we graduated we were doing you know read alouds and book fairs um, and so and that's still going and that's kind of that's my side gig um, and the <laughs> you know the book is um, you know the book is self-published um, but we are looking to send it over to some bigger publishers and see kind of where it goes. Um, yeah, it was, um, we, well, we knew that we wanted a couple of things. So one thing we knew we wanted it to have kind of a focus on kind of mental health and emotional well-being um, and kind of um, mindfulness. Okay. Uh, the other thing was, um, you know, we, we found this really interesting kind of statistic that children's books are more likely to have an animal as a main character than a person of color. Mm. And that just kind of blew my mind. Um, And we were like, we need to do something about this. And I think especially because, you know, a lot of kind of what today we know as mindfulness, um, you know, like certain like meditative practices and certain breathing exercises, yoga, things like that tend to come from Eastern cultures. I think, you know, we wanted to kind of, um, share our experience with that part of our culture. Um, And Aubrey's Buddhist, I'm Hindu. So we, we kind of had, we grew up with a similar, um, similar concept of spirituality and similar way of life. So I think we really wanted to um, kind of, you know, bring that focus to kind of the, the Asian roots mm-hmm. of a lot of uh, the practices. That's not to say that all practices come from Asian roots, yeah. but um, I think it was, that was something that was really important to us was kind of um, 
in, in, a, in a way, kind of telling our narrative, like telling our own narrative as Asian women. Mm-hmm. So what exactly is on the horizon for Mindful Mansi? So I know Mansi, I think, is that what you said? Yeah, Mansi. Okay, Mindful Mansi. So mm-hmm. you did say something about like book fairs and read-alouds, but how did that change during the pandemic? So yeah, definitely the, the physical stuff is not happening. Um, yeah. We did have a really exciting opportunity where there was a local nonprofit who um, we um, donated kind of several copies of our book mm. to because um, as part of their mental health initiative, yep. um, as well as, you know, kind of staying involved, especially with kind of the Asian and South Asian communities in the area. Um, and then also, you know, pursuing publishing with a bigger publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's kind of how we've been doing things for now. Um, but I think, um, you know, we were really glad when we got reached out to by a nonprofit, you know, saying, hey, you know, we think that the concepts your books teach are really great and especially needed in the time like this where, um, you know, kids, it's very difficult for them to understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it can be really anxiety inducing for them. Um, so that that's kind of the, I think, the biggest way in which Mindful Muncie has kind of been still um, kind of making some waves in the world. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, next step is, you know, publishing. So we're, we're hoping okay. um, that we can, you know, find a, you know, a bigger publisher um, to kind of, you know, take, take Monsi forward too. So do you think you would ever leave your job in product management and consulting to pursue more on Mindful Monsi? <laughs> um, I don't think I would leave my job for it. At, okay. at least, you know, not at this point, you know, if, if Mindful Monsi became like a giant success and they were like, we want five more books, you know, <laughs> That's something to think about. Um, mm-hmm. But I think I, I kind of take each step as it comes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we, we shall see. But I'm really happy with um, kind of like, you know, we were talking about earlier is having kind of having your side gig that makes yep. you happy, makes you feel fulfilled um, outside of your regular work, which may also make you happy and fulfilled. But there people are so complicated and we have all these different things that are important to us. So yeah. I think for now, I'm happy with the, the side gig. And mm-hmm. if it gets to the point where they want 20 more books, we'll think about it then. <laughs> Okay. And also, where can we actually buy the book? So you can actually buy it at, um, so we have a website, mindfulmonsi.com. Um, and right now we're not selling it through the website, but we do okay. have, um, there's this amazing service called Lulu. Um, and there's a link to it on the website. So if you go to mindfulmonsi.com, you can, you can find the link. Um, and they actually um, print our books and they um, distribute them as mm-hmm. well. So that is, that's the best way to find Mindful Monsi. Okay. And the link will be down below as well. Awesome. Yay, thank you for sharing. Yep. So currently you are now at AG Consulting Partners. So I'm very curious because I saw you were both a technical product manager and a management consultant. How did that Mm -hmm. work out? Like, is that something that they hired you for or you decide to do one over the other? Yeah, so so the way that uh, AG works is it has kind of... um, kind of multiple different like titles and roles and positions. Mm-hmm. So my, my technical title at AG consulting is management consultant, uh, okay. is a you know consultant. So that's, that's, that's my title. Um, and um, AG kind of has two, two really interesting ways that it approaches things is it has kind of this expert workforce mm-hmm. and it has a management consulting workforce. So the expert workforce is for folks who really want to focus and dig deep into their client deliverables. So oftentimes at big consulting companies, that will kind of be referred to as a specialist role. Um, And then the consulting role um, is more kind of, you know, you are doing the client stuff as well, but there's also kind of an added understanding and an expectation of you're going to be contributing to kind of the business development as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you kind of think about, I I think they call it like specialist and kind of consulting tracks Mm -hmm. in big consulting firms, I would say that's kind of the difference. 
Um, so yeah, I'm in the, the management consulting group. Um, and then the technical product management, that's the role that I have with my client uh, is, okay. um, you know, managing, developing a product uh, with um, an engineering team. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about like, what does that exactly mean? So what does technical product management mean? Yeah. Or, or like, what's the difference between technical product manager and just a normal product manager? So um, I think, you know, when it comes to like product and program management, um, I think there are a lot of different terms that kind of get thrown around. Okay. And it really depends on your company and your organization. Um, for me, technical product management was just the best way to describe it. But what I would say is that because I do have a technical background and I do have to have an understanding of the system's architecture, how things work, how data is stored, mm-hmm. um, I am on the more technical side. Um, I have to understand what the product is capable of doing, what we're capable of actually building out um, and what my engineering can do in what amount of time. So, which is the reason why I kind of put technical in front of it because, you know, I think in product management, I mean, and again, this really varies, um, but some companies like, um, remember when I worked for Visa, um, they had kind of a product manager who was a business oriented person who a lot of their work was drawing up requirements, getting metrics together, things like that. But then you also had the technical product manager who mm. was kind of their counterpart who was working with the development teams. And again, this can also depend on how big your organization is, how big your you know team is, you know what, what the needs are of the day. Um, but for me, what I do is I do the business side as well as the technical side. So, you know, like yesterday I was drawing up, you know, wireframes of the application and a new workflow we're going to introduce. Um, I was also working on data analytics. Um, I also work with all of the business stakeholders to uh, find out what we want the product to do. I also work on engagement strategy. Mm-hmm. So there's, I kind of encompass kind of a big, big chunk, which is what a lot of product managers do. Mm-hmm. Um, but because, um, I think for me, because I am very deep in the technical aspect of it, um, I kind of put that, you know, the technical in front of it, but really there, it really just depends on you, your skill set, and what your organization does. Mm -hmm. And do you like this more than consulting? So it's interesting because when I think about consulting, I think about it as a person who has a skill set and they can help you solve a problem. And I think that this is what my skill set is, is it's it's really uh, working with engineering teams, technical product, technical program, whatever (laughs) we want to call it. Um, But yeah, basically working with technical teams to deliver um, outcomes and working with business people to get those things done. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that as a consultant, that is the value that I add. So it's, yeah. it's I'm kind of both, you know? Mm-hmm. So when you're working with engineers, are you working with your clients' engineers or is that actually with AG Consulting Partners? So it depends, I think, on your company. Like, for example, when I was at Deloitte, I was working with other engineers who were from Deloitte. Okay. Um, it can also be that, you know, maybe your client has, you know, engineers on there and they can have engineers from another consulting firm that you could be working from. It really varies on what the structure is. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of, there are a lot of options of different permutations and combinations that you can have with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for what advice would you give for anyone that's interested in product management? Ooh, read cracking the PM interview. Mm-hmm. That was, um, a fantastic book, which prepared me actually for my consulting interview very well too. Um, I would say that I think a lot of people recognize kind of the similarities between consulting and product management, specifically if you're kind of a, you know, a technically oriented person. Um, But what I would say is um, there's no harm in, you know, learning how to code. Um, It, it, 
you know, it, I, I know there are a lot of people who come into product management from very different places. Um, and I think especially, you know, nowadays, um, you know, there are folks who are, you know, in marketing who go into product management. I think it's, you just have to be creative and have ideas and have an understanding and empathy for other people. I think those are kind of the, the main aspects. Mm-hmm. And if you have the technical knowledge too, that really helps. Um, so, you know, totally recommend, you know, learning how to code a little bit, you know, you don't, I, again, not everybody enjoys it. And there's no reason that you have to put yourself through like an entire Coursera if you don't want to. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I would, I would kind of suggest that. Um, and also, you know, cracking the PM interview is really great because it, it preps you for the interviews, but more than that, I think it also really gives you good frameworks for how to think about things. Um, And product management is one of those, in some ways, it's kind of like a generalist role um, where, you know, you you kind of have to be a little bit of a jack of all trades. Um, But to me, what's the most important about it is the empathy and the understanding your stakeholders and understanding your customers. Um, And then also being able to balance that with, you know, technical constraints, you know, are there financial constraints? Um, it's, it's a, you have to be a, a good um, juggler and a good um, pers- project manager in general, I think, okay. to be successful. But then again, I'm still hardly like two years into my career. So I'm not <laughs> the one to be giving the, the treatise on, um, you know, how to be a good product manager. Right. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what's worked for me so far. Okay. Yep. So for anyone that's coming from either management or technology consulting, like how exactly would that transition be? Would it be like exactly fitting like a glove or were there some arrangements and changes you had to make to kind of reframe how you were thinking or maybe even interacting with stakeholders? Um, to be honest, I think there are a lot of there are a lot of similarities. OK, um, but and I think there I mean, there are certainly some differences um, in that when you're a consultant, um, your, I mean, one of your, your, your main thing is to make your client happy, yeah. right? So oftentimes, you know, you, you offer a perspective as a consultant, um, but ultimately the decision, in a lot of cases, the decision maker isn't always going to be you. It's mm-hmm. going to be someone else. And that can happen in product too. But I think when you're, you know, a product manager or a product owner in some uh, capacity, you might have a little more autonomy of making mm-hmm. those decisions um, in some cases. Um but yeah, I think I think in general there actually are way more similarities than differences. I think it's just you have to um, you have to kind of understand how to how to a product like what the life cycle is, how yeah. is it built, how is it made. Um, you know, and again, you don't have to go into the deep technical weeds, but you have to have some sort of understanding of the life cycle of creating yeah. a product, adding features. You know, waterfall versus agile, different mm-hmm. agile methodologies. Um, Um, but again, I think these are, I think no career is, I don't think product management is as prohibitive as people might think. Um, there are a lot of different skills that product managers bring to a table. Um, and everything you bring is something useful. So Mm -hmm. I know that's kind of a very vague, vague answer. Um, but there, I think you you just need to do a little bit of reading, a little bit of learning, yeah. um, and, and cracking the PM interview. Highly recommend because um, that really helps you get in the mindset of mm-hmm. what does a product manager do. 
and talking to product managers is also yeah. a really good way to do it. That's what I've done um, is, you know, I have alumni from my school who are in product and I've been like, hey, tell me about this. Tell me about your job. Tell me about your life. You know, what kind of skills do you use? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really good way to go about it, too. Yeah, I remember when I was in college and I was still thinking about like, what should I be doing after college? And I was thinking about product management, like I mentioned before. And honestly, when I think back, I don't really see the difference. But then again, I'm not in product management to know. (laughs) So I was thinking about like, if I ever wanted to go that route, like how would I do that? But it seems like it's just a matter of finding the right fit of like technical or maybe less technical and then going right in and doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because even if you're thinking about product management, you're still kind of working for a client, yeah. right? the customer is your client. Um, and I know there are a lot of people who have a lot of different opinions, too, about the difference between kind of consulting and mm-hmm. uh, product management. And there are so many like blogs and LinkedIn folks out there who talk about this kind of stuff. So I, I would highly recommend reading up on what they say. Okay. Um, but for me, I think because I came from a technical background and um, I went into technical consulting where to the point where I was actually doing like technical program management and actually like writing code to then going into product management for me that pathway um, was pretty um, it wasn't too complicated because Mm -hmm. of kind of that technical background and kind of that understanding of how the back background works Mm -hmm. but that's not the only path by any means there are so many different ways to get to it. So looking forward, long-term or short-term, like what are your goals in your career? Do you think you're going to stay in product management or in consulting or maybe something else? Um, kind of like I said in the beginning, I think I'm, I'm kind of accepting the fact that life doesn't always go according to plan. Yeah. And I think I've been doing a lot of thinking about that as well. Like, do I, you know, want to actually go back into software development? Mm-hmm. Do I just want to continue the product route or the program route? Um, you know, do I want to stick in consulting or do I want to go into industry? I think it's, it's funny because I think a lot of people, when they kind of get to the kind of end of year two of yeah. your career, you've kind of, you've done a lot of learning, you've done a lot of exploring, and you're at that point where you're like, do I need to make a decision now about what I do? And I think I've realized the answer is no. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, life is an ongoing process and you can keep learning and keep growing. Um, so I'm kind of just seeing what comes my way. I think I'm really, really happy um, being at AG Consulting Partners. Um, the people are awesome. Um, and I really love the client that I'm working with yeah. um, and I love the work I'm doing. So I'm not really in a rush to make any big decisions about what to do next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people in our age, actually, they're like, oh, you need to jump a different company, different job all the time, just because like, oh, you get an incremental bonus or like a financial bonus or anything like that. But I I personally, I really like my job and I feel like I could see myself there long-term. And the good thing is that Accenture also has a product management route too. So if I did want to go there, I could and just stay under the same company. (laughs) Yeah, then that's that's really great. I think that's the nice thing about being at a really big consulting firm is you can do like almost anything. You just need to kind of, you know, figure out who's the point of contact, chat with them and then switcheroo over and, you know, figure it out. So that's that's really great that you have that Mm -hmm. resource. So you've mostly worked with big companies like Deloitte, Visa, and other big tech clients. How was your experience after shipping to a boutique firm? Because I saw it was like a considerably smaller company compared to all the other companies. Yeah, so so definitely um, there are a lot of changes. Um, and I think the thing that, you know, there are, there are obviously pros and cons, and it really depends on the kind of person you are. I've actually had a really wonderful time. Um, I, I feel like, you know, one of the things I really enjoy about working at AGCP is that, um, 
the the leadership is actually very accessible. Um, and they actually, you know, when you're in a big consulting firm, you know, the, you know, the leadership is, you know, there are like 20 people between you and leadership. And for me, there's only like one. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of cool. Um, and, and they're so experienced and so awesome and you can learn so much from them. And they're really like open to like having calls and just like chatting and, you know, being there and cheering you on in your career. So I think that's really great. Kind of that open door um, mm-hmm. policy that you have. I think the other part of it that kind of goes along that same route is that, um, I went to the University of Washington, which is like 50,000 students, I think. And then, you know, going to Deloitte, which was like, I don't even remember how many people are at Deloitte. But I think it was kind of getting visibility and being like, oh, yeah, I know who Sharka is. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I feel so popular. (laughs) (laughs) It could have happened at at such a, you know, maybe maybe 20 years down the line, it could have happened at a bigger firm. Um, But I think you get a lot of visibility and mobility. And I think um, you know, one of the things I'm really passionate about is um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and I think, um, you know, I've been able to kind of bring that to my leadership team and be like, hey, you know, this is something I'm really passionate about. Can we make this happen? And then you chat with them, you, you know, bring them a proposal and you, you, you know, they're like, yeah, go for it. You know, let's, let's wow. see where this goes. So I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of kind of impact that you can yeah. have as well. Um but yeah, I think I, overall for me, I think the other part of it too was that, you know, when I was at Deloitte and, and again, loved Deloitte, like there's no, like I have absolutely no, you know, negative thing to say about Deloitte. Um, but one thing that I think people might take into consideration as they get older, like, you know, if you get married or have children or have a dog, things like that, um, is that, you know, there was a lot of traveling with Deloitte. I was gone every single week and wow. you kind of have cram your personal life into like 36 hours. And I'm sure you've had that experience, yeah. you know, when you're, when you're traveling. Um, and, you know, I was fine with it because I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm young. I, you know, I live at home with my parents. Um, you know, there's, I don't have any big responsibilities to take care of. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine doing this. Um, but the nice thing I think with coming to a smaller firm was also that, um, you know, I, I felt like I had my life back a little bit mm. in some ways where I was like, okay, I'm coming home at the end of every day, 5 p.m. I turn my computer off and I can go watch a movie. I can go meet up with a friend. Obviously right now, <laughs> you know, we have to be a little safer about that kind of thing. Um, but um, I definitely felt like uh, there, there was kind of a uh, that there was a human kind of a human element, like a human centric element. Uh, and not to say that a big company doesn't have that, but I think it's, um, you know, because all of the humans know each other at the company. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, so we, um, I don't know, and, and there's, there's a lot of really wonderful things about it. Um, um, but at the same time, you know, I am really glad that I started my career at Deloitte because, you know, okay. I, I knew that I wanted to start at a big company, regardless of, you know, whether that was product management or, you know, consulting, because I really, really wanted to be solidly trained. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that a big company where there's lots of structure is a really great place to do that. Um, and I'm so glad that I did it. And there's so many resources, so many trainings, so many programs. So you can really learn a lot and specialize a lot. Like you were just talking about how there's a product management track for you. And that's amazing so that, you know, you can learn that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whereas in the smart company, you may not have all of that. Yeah. Um, and I think because, you know, I was, you know, a little further on in my career when I joined a smaller firm that for me, that wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, I was pretty, um, you know, I was pretty comfortable with what I was capable with and what I could do. Um, and, you know, we, we do have an education stipend too. So, you know, if mm-hmm. there's something that you want to learn or get better at, um, 
you know, you, you have the ability to yeah. do that. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's, um, it depends kind of on what kind of person you are. Um, I think, you know, it, I tend to be pretty good at adapting to different environments. So I have found that, um, you know, being at a smaller firm has been actually a really nice thing. And it's a nice kind of refreshing change. So I've, I've really appreciated it, but I still love Deloitte. Like I am yeah. so grateful for the experience that I have. And I totally think that everyone should do consulting at their first <laughs> job because it teaches you so much um, and it really helps you come into your own and become more responsible. So I mm-hmm. think, yeah, good, good experience. I had a wonderful experience with both. Nothing okay. negative to say about either, honestly. Um, so I remember because like before I even joined Accenture, all of my companies were small. They were either startups or small companies. Not a single one was as large as Accenture. So I had the same exact feeling like, should I go to a boutique firm? Because the internship I had before I graduated was actually a, a boutique consulting firm. So it's like, should I stay or should I go to a bigger company? And that was kind of like the dilemma I had was if I stay, I would be focusing more on data analytics. I kind of pigeonhole myself if I did that. If I went to a company like Accenture, I could expand myself to do other things. And I'm glad I did because I'm doing something completely different than data analytics right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, and I think also there's you're, you're allowed to make, you know, decisions about your career, yep. you know, at any point that you want to. Um, sometimes, you know, people feel like they got a sign, mm-hmm. you know, when a recruiter reached <laughs> out to them. You know, it's, I, I think it's, um, you know, really, really up to you about how mm-hmm. you want to define your career. I think, you know, back in, you know, maybe our parents' day, it was more of a, you know, you stayed at one company for your entire life. And that was pretty common. Um, but I think, you know, nowadays people, you know, understand that people want different experiences. And I know something interesting about consulting, too, is that they actually really enjoy when their people go into industry because mm-hmm. then they have a connection um, yeah. as well. You know, some a contact they can work with to, you know, drive business development um, or just, you know, they can get really good in industry and then come back and offer it as a consulting service. So mm-hmm. I think um, I think consulting tends to have a pretty high turnover rate and it's very, very flexible. Um, so I don't think, I mean, personally, I don't think, and, and people know that consultants are like a top of their game kind of people too. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of, you know, job descriptions, if you're, if you look, um, I had a friend who was searching for a new job and we were looking at them and a lot of them said like, has this, has this many years of experience or, you know, two years of management consulting experience. And I was like, because they know, they know yeah. when you're a consultant, like you're, you have your firm life, you have your, um, you know, your client life, you have an expertise, you know how to influence without authority. They're like all of these really great skills that consulting teaches you, which is why I think that like every person should do it as their first job. <laughs> That's just me. Yeah, I say that to everyone too. It's like, if you, even if you don't know what you want to do, if you go to a big consulting firm, you could still jump around, do all these projects and then really find what you really like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. For sure. For sure. And I think like, you know, like we were just talking about is there are pros and cons to being at a small firm and a big firm. And I think, you know, you, you, you roll with what works best for you. Um, Thankfully, I had a great experience of both. So it wasn't really like a, oh man, you know, Um, but, um, yeah, I, I feel really grateful that I actually had the experience of working with both. Um, and I love kind of sharing, uh, with other people, um, kind of what, what that can look like and based on who you are and what you're interested in, you figure out what works for you. Mm -hmm. So you briefly mentioned that you were very passionate about diversity, equity, inclusion, that you even went to leadership at AGCP about that. So can you tell me about like, did you have a particular story that drives your passion or is it because of maybe the story you mentioned earlier where your family was trying to drive in that, like, love your culture, stick to it. 
and really embody it. So I'm curious, like, where is that passion coming from? So um, I grew up in a neighborhood, kind of like I mentioned very early on, which is pretty, pretty homogenous um, and pretty well off. Um, so there's, there, there isn't, um, sometimes there's a little bit of a distance with reality that I found when I was growing up. Um, and there was also kind of several occasions on which it was made, the, the point was made to me to make me feel like I didn't belong there mm-hmm. uh, because I was like one of two brown people, I think, in my entire school at one wow. point. Um, so that was, I think, you know, the stuff that comes with that definitely dealt with people, you know, calling me a terrorist, definitely dealt with people telling me that I was unattractive because I didn't have blonde hair, blue eyes, like had those experiences, plenty of them, and definitely, you know, dealt with a lot of ignorance towards, you know, what my own culture was, Mm -hmm. um, and towards, you know, other cultures in general. Um, And I think one thing that that really taught me was it made me upset, but it also made me really determined to educate people. Okay. And I found that, you know, by educating people, um, you get actually a pretty decent response Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of like, oh, I never thought of things this way. Um, And that's kind of the way that I like to approach it. Now, that doesn't mean when something like really messed up, when something really messed up happens, you don't like, you know, report it. Of course you do. That's Mm -hmm. unfortunately, I had to deal with that as well, Um, was, you know, some pretty awful cases um, of, you know, kind of, you know, racism or comments made against me and things like that. but I think that that kind of experience, and I think a lot of, you know, people, people of color, you know, people, you know, LGBTQ folks, people of different identities, um, who maybe are not kind of the fit the, you know, whatever the typical yeah. is in their neighborhood or in their, um, their environment deal with that. Um, and it really sucks. Um, but I think it makes you really tough. Um, and for me, um, I remember, you know, growing up a lot of um, you know, kids of color would even kind of, I mean, you know, that whitewash yep. kind of thing, they would, they would kind of, you know, whitewash themselves at school yep. so that they didn't have to feel like they were the other or experience that. Mm-hmm. And I completely, I, I get it. Um, but for me, I just remember, because like you said, I grew up being so loud and proud of my culture and my heritage. That was not something I was willing to do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I shouldn't have to, nobody should have to, nobody should have to feel like they can't bring their full self to school or their whole self to work. That, that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's kind of why, um, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion have been super important to me um, growing up. Um, and especially, you know, in the current moment with yeah. everything that's going on. And I think, you know, I'm glad that people are actually, you know, seeing the issues in the, you know, the, the way that, you know, a lot of other people have been experiencing them because, you know, I know a lot of people will be like, oh, well, I've never seen racism. I don't think it exists. It's like, well, but just because you haven't experienced sexism or racism or homophobia, you know, good for you, but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that other people aren't experiencing it. That doesn't mean that there are these severe systemic problems and these biases that we have. Right. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of, it's, it's a difficult conversation for a lot of people to have, but I think it's a really important one. And I think it is important to, like, for me, I really like to take it from the space of education and, you know, hey, did you ever think about it this way? Did you ever think about from, you know, this person's perspective? Um, So I think because, you know, kind of growing up um, with dealing with a lot of the negativity that came along with being someone who didn't feel like they belonged, um, 
and um, kind of coming into my power as kind of a young woman, I think, and, you know, seeing just all the inspirational people that are out there. Um, I think uh, that kind of really, you know, I've, I've always been passionate about it. And that mm -hmm. kind of spurred me, I think, to, you know, say, hey, you know, let's start doing um, more stuff in this area or that area. Um, so I think it's, it's um, kind of, it's a combination of that, you know, my upbringing, the parents, yep. my parents have being like, be proud of who you are, know who you are. And then the, um, the difficulties that I had to face because mm -hmm. of who I was um, kind of combined that made me really passionate about it. Yeah. So you mentioned this briefly before, but what do you think is something that the world could do more in terms of DEI initiatives? Um, I think that um, there's an aspect of kind of learning how do we take the best kind of action in okay. these kinds of situations. Um, I think, you know, of course, it's important to, you know, um, you know, share, you know, your, you know, how you feel. But I think there's also a lot of listening that needs to be done. Um, I think, you know, just for me, even just because like, I'm, you know, an, a woman of color doesn't mean that I understand what every single other minority is going through. It doesn't, exactly. I, I don't. Um, so something that's really important to me always is listening. Um, and when I have something to share, you know, that pertains to, you know, my culture or my, you know, background, I'm, you know, I'm happy to share it. But I think one thing that's um, really important to me is making sure that we listen. Mm -hmm. um, to other people and try to understand why other people feel the way they feel um, instead of kind of dismissing it and then engaging people of different backgrounds of, yeah. you know, how do we bring solutions? How do we make this better? Um, that's, that's something that I think, and I think a lot of people, um, you know, again, with, you know, the murder of George Floyd, mm -hmm. that a lot, it, it's really come to light, um, a reality that you know, Black Americans have known, that many people have known for a very long time. It's just, we've, we've just had, you know, an awakening, you know, yeah. which, you know, for some people, it's like, well, you guys are like 500 years too late. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's progress, I think. Mm -hmm. And I, I appreciate that people are opening their eyes a lot more, and that uh, people are understanding things a lot better um, than perhaps they did before. And, you know, are also open to realizing, you know, when you made a mistake, like mm -hmm. I've certainly made mistakes. I've certainly said the wrong thing or done the wrong thing at a certain time. Nobody is perfect. Yeah. Um, and I think it's when you make that effort to be like, okay, I'm sorry, I made a mistake and I want to learn from it. I think that's what's really, really important um, okay. is making that genuine action, genuine effort um, and not just being, you know, trying to, you know, cover it up. I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think with a lot of companies trying to do a lot more hiring in diversity, that can help a lot more because I know a lot of companies, a lot of countries, states, cities, whatever, they're super segregated. They're all in their little bubble. So they don't actually know until something happens. So really, especially with the power of social media, everyone's listening to these stories. And I don't even think like 20 years ago, you could do that to really hear about all these stories without looking at the newspaper. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And social media, I guess there's there's the whole it's very powerful tool. Um, yeah. And it can be used for a lot of good, but it can be used for a lot of not so good. <laughs> so it's important to be aware of what you're consuming, um, you know, and see, you know, is this credible mm -hmm. or not? Um, but yeah, I think I think it's it's a very interesting time um, that we're going through. 
right now there's a lot of um there's a lot of awakenings I think mm-hmm. and I think especially even in the business world I think there's been an awakening of empathy mm-hmm. um especially because you know of you know people like me are you know losing loved ones in a pandemic um you know people are losing their jobs people are losing their homes you know people don't have food that they can put on the table um it's I, I think that I think people are learning to listen to each other and be a little more empathetic towards each other. And I hope that that's a trend that continues. Mm -hmm. So as a woman in tech, have you had any particular experiences where you were treated differently or unfairly either in your past firms or currently, or not even in tech, but as a woman? Um, I think just, you know, they're, 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 that's unfortunately that's something that just happens. And I feel like you just have to expect it and deal with it, unfortunately. Um, and you speak out about it too. You don't, mm-hmm. don't want to sit silently, but um, there's there, I think there was this wonderful article that I read in college about how technology is a boys club. Mm-hmm. And uh, there definitely is a, can be a vibe like that um, from time to time. Um, I remember, you know, when I was taking, uh, even when I was taking like computer science classes in college, there was women got really infantilized um, Mm -hmm. and it was rather, rather frustrating. And um, I don't know, there, there, there's just, it it can sometimes be frustrating because we feel like when you're a girl, you even, you have to be even more successful or more this for that just to prove something. Um, And I think for me, I've definitely had those experiences where I felt like I've been underestimated by someone because mm-hmm. of whatever, you know, I guess what I look like, I'm, you know, five, four, you know, little girl, I guess, um, um, which is annoying and really frustrating. Um, and I've definitely had times where I actually succumbed to that too, mm-hmm. where I had people who told me, this isn't for you, or, you know, this is so difficult, like, oh, honey. And I, I actually, it, it, I, I listened sometimes and it really, really shook me to the core where I got to the point where I had to sit down and write code and I wanted to cry because mm. um, there's this really brilliant TED talk, I think by Reshma Sojani, who, and she talks about how women are taught to be perfect mm. um, and they are taught to, you know, don't try if you're not going to do it exactly right. And I have never felt more understood in my life when I heard that, whereas men are taught to, you know, be bold and, um, you know, get out there, do your thing. Um, And even in a a different article I read, I I forget what the, what the author's name is, but it talks about how also, you know, historically women were taught to be very multifaceted and, um, you know, you had to know, you know, if we want to go back to, you know, the really traditional stuff, you had to know how to sew, you had to know how to cook, you know, know how to paint, like all these things, they're all, and you had to know how to socialize. There are all these things that women were expected to know how to do. Um, and then for men, it was kind of just like, well, you have to be able to get a job and feed your family. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it was like, there's this, this huge difference. So in the article, they talk about how the environment of technology is not always welcoming for women because there's this idea that you need to be writing code 24 seven or you're not legit. And that really exists. It's like, if you are not working on 24 side projects, you're not legit. Mm -hmm. And that can be really frustrating to deal with. And, you know, not just for women, but for even people who have like hobbies outside of work, you you don't have to be doing your profession all the time. Like I yeah. love pursuing music and I have a really dear friend who he can write amazing code, but he's also an amazing singer and he, you know, he loves performing things like that. So, um, 
I think, and, and again, I guess that's coming to the kind of humanization of work is that recognizing that people have a full life. And I think people should be more encouraged to have a full life rather than just kind of work home, work home. Um, And I think, you know, being a woman in tech, uh, there is, unfortunately, it's one of those things where you do have to build a thick skin and you Mm -hmm. have to, you know, I think a lot of girls and their moms or, you know, girls and their parents have conversations about you know, you're, you're a woman, here's a list of things that you're going to experience and you need to be prepared for it. I definitely had that conversation with my parents. Um, Whereas, you know, with my brother, you know, maybe they had to have have a similar conversation, but it was, it was a different one. Whereas, you know, Mm -hmm. he's a big brown guy. So they have to say, you know, when a cop comes to your car, you put your hands up and you, you Mm. get out and you follow every single thing they say to a T. You know, a lot of, a lot of black and um, brown men um, had that conversation with their parents. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, it's so normalized because it's like you you're just like well this is how the world is and I think you know there's there's an understanding of you always have to be prepared for the worst case scenario yeah um, and I, I you know I, I don't think that you know women and you know people of other minorities are an exception to that unfortunately but what I will say is I do think the world is going to keep changing and I think it's going to keep getting better mm-hmm. so yeah, when you mentioned about your family having all these expectations on you, I was like, oh, that sounds like my family because they were actually specifically more my mom because she has, she's from China. She's like literally from there. So a lot of her ideals were Christine, you need to be the typical Chinese woman, white skin and be very fragile, very uh, delicate. But then I was like, I'm not doing that. I, I'm doing tech. And she was like, you're going to fail in tech because only boys are there. I'm like, oh, it's a boys club. But to me, it was just a rebellious side of me that came in like, I don't care. I'm doing it anyways. I'm going to prove you wrong. So that was like kind of like why I ended up pursuing tech, which honestly, thinking back, that's like a horrible mentality. But at the end of the day, it was really proving myself because if I had to prove someone else, it means that I wasn't, com- I wasn't completely confident in myself. So yeah. going into tech is just like a different way of really expressing yourself. And when I realized like I found my place, I was like, I don't need to prove anyone else. I could just prove myself that I am doing exactly what I want to do. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, I feel like that's very common in Asian communities for yeah. me, actually, you know, luckily my, my parents were, were never like, you're a woman. So you have to do this. It was more when it, when it came to those conversations, they were like, you're going to have to work harder. You're going to have to be more confident than you feel. You're going to, it was, it was kind of like a, you know, you, you have to, um, because you're a girl, you're going to deal with extra trash coming your way and you need to be ready for it. Um, And I think that, you know, a lot of um, parents have conversations like that with their kids. I mean, thankfully, you know, my, you know, my parents are Indian and they came from India, but um, they grew up in very progressive families. So I think mm. kind of the idea, you know, in, in my culture and Kashmiri culture, women are actually like expected to, you know, be like professionals as well. It's, it's a very mm. common thing that, you know, like when my aunts are all like professors and they all do these amazing things. And then there's yeah. the double standard too. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of cultures where it's like, yeah, you have to be an amazing professional and amazing in your career, but mm. you also have to like know how to cook and do all yeah. of these things. Um, and I think I personally, I feel like I got really lucky with the parents that I have because they, um, they were kind of like, you know, you need to make your life what you want it. You need to be able to provide for yourself and take Mm -hmm. care of yourself. Um, and you know, that's, that's kind of it. 
um, yeah. you know, where you need to be independent and stand on your own feet and you have to be ready for dealing with what comes your way, which is, I think, why a lot of um, kind of teaching us meditation, yoga, all of those spiritual practices was also really important to them because mm -hmm. they were like, you need to have, you know, you need to have grounding. Yeah. Um, and the culture aspect too was we want you to have a very strong idea of who you are um, and what your what your heritage is. Right. Um, so yeah, I feel like it's it's different. Um, and and you know there, I think Asian families too. You know when you're coming from a country of a billion people, the the concept of you know you need to survive is huge. And I'm sure you know you experienced that mm -hmm. um, as well, where it's like the you know. And I feel like you know, and in some ways, you know, when I talk about kind of the issues that I talk about, you know, sometimes other immigrants will be like you know, we get it, but you know, we're, we're just trying to put food on the table. Yeah. And I feel like because my, my parents struggled so much to get me to where they, to where I am today. Um, I feel like I have a responsibility to speak out because they worked their butts off so I could have the platform that I have. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I'm going to use it and not everybody is going to agree with you all the time. That's okay. Um, and some people, you know, might say, you know, you're picking on the little things, let's look at the big picture. Um, but I think, you know, that's part of creating a dialogue, right? Is there are different opinions, different people coming to the table. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to keep my head down. Yeah, that's actually one of the main reasons why I even created a YouTube channel, because everyone, when they think of a management consultant, they probably think about a white male, but they never really think about like a woman of color. So that's why I was like, okay, I'll do a technology consulting. I'll be in the financial industry. So, you know, that's even more male dominant. And so from there, I just wanted to show people it is possible to be a woman of color or not even just a woman of color, a minority in technology consulting or in consulting or in STEM. So mm -hmm. that was just something that I really wanted to do that you're not alone because I'm seeing a lot of consultants out there that they're talking about their careers and everything. But if you were not necessarily a woman of color, I can't necessarily relate because we, we deal with different hurdles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes also people, when people don't understand your hurdles, yeah. um, it's, you know, or they haven't experienced it themselves. Like, like, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, I don't think there's, you know, homophobia out there. And it's, you know, it's like, well, it's amazing that you haven't dealt with it or you haven't seen mm -hmm. with it, seen it. That's wonderful, mm -hmm. but it does exist. You know, a lot of times, you know, when it comes to, you know, these biases, um, everybody has biases and, you know, and the thing is, is, you, you recognize them and then you make effort to change them. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's, you know, there's, there is, a, I hope that there is a movement of empathy and understanding other people and listening to each other that's starting. Mm -hmm. And I hope that that continues. Right. So I think that we had a really good conversation. I definitely learned a lot more to you, especially your story as a Indian woman and growing up and whatnot. I honestly did not know about the whole like meditation yoga, that that's actually one of the reasons why it started everything. But that definitely makes sense now that all the pieces come together. But what exactly is on the horizon for you in 2021? Keep learning, keep growing. Um, I think that, you know, there's... Um, like I said, I had kind of my life plan shaken up when I lost my job in the pandemic. And then I got a realization of the things that were really important when we lost some loved ones in the pandemic. So I think um, just remembering what's important is to, you know, you're not always going to be, you know, happy in yeah. life. Um, but remembering that, you know, if you are, you know, doing okay, 51% of the time, you know, you're, you're probably doing pretty okay. Um, mm -hmm. And being grateful 
for, for what I have. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think on the horizon is just, you know, continue learning, living, growing, um, and just, you know, being, being grateful and being happy kind of with, with what I have now, that doesn't mean that if you, you know, want to make your change in your life, you don't do that. Of course. You yeah. Do. I started doing a Chloe Ting challenge because I was like, okay, Ooh. I am, <laughs> I have not been exercising. I need to, and I was like, I don't feel like myself in my body. So I decided to make a change and I went ahead and, um, you know, started exercising again, which has been amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think what's on the horizon is I, I'm for the first time in my life, I think I'm pretty comfortable with saying, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm just going to keep rolling with um, what comes next. Wow. So where can we exactly find you on social media? You know, it's so funny. I feel like this is so weird for someone our age, but I am like, <laughs> I am not a social media person at all. Like mm-hmm. I, I do it for work sometimes, mm-hmm. um, but I'm actually like, I don't have an Instagram. I don't have a Twitter. I just, <laughs> I'm like an anti-millennial, um, but I, um, I'm on LinkedIn. So mm-hmm. you can find me at Shark Call on LinkedIn, um, but I don't post anything. <laughs> I am, honestly, I am the worst on social media. I will like follow people and I'll read up on people and I'll read what they're doing, but I never post anything and I never like do anything on social media. So social media may not be the best place to find <laughs> me, um, but you're welcome to like message me on LinkedIn yeah. or you know, anything. That, that's cool. I'm fine Does, with that. Um, all right. And lastly, what can we do to support you? Send good vibes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's really the best. Um, I think, you know, just again, I keep hitting on this concept of empathy. Um, I think, just just be kind to one another um, and be you know compassionate um, and be willing to have tough conversations um, mm-hmm. and that's that's just for everyone that's not even you know just with me but yeah as much positivity as you can send me would be great as well um, and if you would like to purchase mindful Monty because you like it that would be great too um, but yeah that's that's the main ways you can support me okay Thank you so much. And all of the links will be down below, even though she has LinkedIn, definitely hit her up, connect with her, all of that and buy her book. (laughs) So thank you so much. Definitely loved your story. It was one of those things where I knew I was going to get a good story out of you. I just wasn't sure where it was going to head, but definitely very excited that I was able to hear everything. And of course, I'm pretty sure you're going to have a big story coming up soon for all of the future ventures you're going to do. I'm really excited for all of the cool things you're doing. Even though you don't post on LinkedIn, we'll see. Maybe you'll post something when something does happen. <laughs> Maybe someday. Yeah, I know. I, I, I feel like I'm just the worst on social media. Like, I, I still like call people on the phone and I'm like, hi, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm like, Grandma who calls you every other day. <laughs> That's yeah, how I feel with TikTok. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my TikTok is just like beyond me. I have some really (laughs) dear friends who are like a little bit younger than me. And she's like always like posting like her TikTok dances and recipes. (laughs) And I'm like, you go, girl. I love it. (laughs) But thank you so much for having me. It was so great chatting with you again after such a long time. Thanks for thanks for the support and thanks for having me. All right. Thank you so much.